0: My name is Ralph Hernandez. I am a homicide detective for the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. I've been a homicide detective now for 10 years and I've been with the Sheriff's Department for 30 years. Back in 2011, the sheriff received a number of letters from people wanting to have the case reviewed and explaining uh, some of the details that Dennis Devern had left out from the original investigation. As a result of that, the sheriff uh, asked Homicide Bureau, specifically the captain of Homicide, to assign investigators to take a look at the case and and determine whether or not to reopen the case. So at that time, uh, now retired Detective Kevin Lowe and myself were assigned to review the case. We took a look at it. We saw things that really made the case uh, suspicious in nature, and coupled with the new information that uh, Dennis DeVern was providing us, we advised the captain that we should, in fact, reopen the case.
1: Hello, and welcome to Chapter 11 of Fatal Voyage, The Mysterious Death of Natalie Wood. I'm your host, Dylan Howard. In 2011, after a petition to reinvestigate Natalie Wood's case made its way to the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, the case was officially reopened. In this chapter, we explore the reasons behind that groundbreaking decision. But first, let's start with one of the most glaring... Why Robert R.J. Wagner was named a person of interest in Natalie's death just over a year and a half ago.
0: Upon reviewing the case, you know, we observed the autopsy photos and the autopsy report, and Natalie would had numerous bruises on her head, arms and legs, which appeared to be assaultive in nature. There was a broken bottle that was found on the boat that Robert Wagner uh, had told investigators originally that uh, he believed that it was rough season, it had fallen over and, and broken. And later in a book Mr. Wagner wrote that uh, he had in fact broken that bottle. So we have you know information that there was a conflict on the boat, there's the lie about the bottle, there's the Bruising. She looked like the victim of an
1: assault. We've previously mentioned the bruising found on Natalie's body, but it's important to remember that the initial coroner, Dr Thomas Naguchi, believed the marks were superficial. The new coroner, though, took a second look at the autopsy report and disagreed.
0: The significance of the bruises, part of it is the location of the bruises. She had a... Um, I, I, I would characterise it as a small... Um, but a noticeable uh, superficial abrasion on the uh, left side of her head close to her temple, like just outside of her left eye. She had another um, on above her left eyebrow and what appeared to be slight redness underneath the eyebrow as well. You know, you, you don't get an abrasion on your head from just a typical fall that you might have and she had a significant pretty good sized bruise on her right forearm which was quite red, quite noticeable and she had numerous bruising uh, around her legs, her lower legs and her knee area of, of both legs some of those could potentially have been uh, a fall we did find a new witness who explained to us an incident which occurred the day before um, and his description of events his explanation to us would tend to corroborate the location of one of those bruises uh, on on her leg, on one of her legs but In general, you look at the bruising and she looks like the victim of an assault. And uh, I think we can say that uh, even simply just by looking at the photos and having 30 years of law enforcement experience.
1: Dennis Deverne saw the bruises on Natalie's body up close when he was asked to identify the body.
2: It was horrible. She had more bruises on her body than you can imagine. It was it was horrible. I said to myself, this poor woman was beat. She had bruises on her on her face. She had bruises on her wrist. Um, there was a number of bruises. I, I I can't I can't remember exactly where they were all where they were all located because after I, after I looked at her face, I just didn't want to look
3: anymore.
1: Here's legal expert Nancy Grace.
3: I'm a former prosecutor in inner city Atlanta. I prosecuted felonies there for 10 years. I first became interested in the Natalie Wood case when I spoke with her sister, Lana. And Lana speaks on Natalie's behalf in a way that is so heart-wrenching and so incredibly believable i started investigating myself and the more i looked at it frankly the worse it got this is what i've learned bruises on her body at the time she was fished out of the water were attributed to i guess her falling off the side of the boat but The bruises on her body really don't fit that type of a bruising pattern. According to Corinna, they were likely caused by another person. Water does not bruise you. And why was she bruised on just the lower back side of her legs? Now, we do know about that facial abrasion, uh, likely in an upward direction. How did that happen? Was she hit in a confrontation on the deck? Was there an upper blow that she took from someone in front of her? How did she get an upper blow on her face? That doesn't happen from drowning. In this day and age, all the people on the boat that evening would have been checked. They would have had photos taken of them to see if there were scrapes, bruises, on their bodies, if Natalie Wood had had an altercation and fought back against them. Their fingernails would have been checked. Natalie Wood's fingernails should have been checked. That is elementary.
1: It's hard to imagine how the lead detective could have missed such crucial evidence, especially in a case as high profile as Natalie Wood. Here's Marty Ruley.
4: I interviewed Razor. I believe he thinks he did his job, and I do believe that the three survivors of that boat, that cruise, Dennis, Walken, and Wagner, all lied to Razor. None of them offered any added information, just, you know, we had dinner and then Natalie went missing. And without much more to go on, it was kind of tough for Razor to build a case but if he had just looked a little deeper, you know, those bruises, um, you know, to try to find out how the dinghy was secured to the boat, he should have been more curious and not closed that case within a mere few days. The was very good at his job. He just failed in this particular
1: case. But it wasn't just negligence on the part of investigators. Some say the coroner in charge of Natalie's case was careless and perhaps intentionally so for politically motivated reasons.
3: What I find to be a clear, clear problem is that the then medical examiner Thomas Noguchi did not scrape for tissue under Nellie Wood's fingernails while conducting her postmortem. I mean, it's elementary that you scrape the nails and I've been and I've seen it done. That is so major. So it's it's overwhelmingly a problem with the Gucci's autopsy of Natalie Wood.
5: My name is Sam Peroni, and I'm a lawyer uh, in Fayetteville, Arkansas. In 2015, after I had read several things. Um, uh, books, uh, magazine articles and the such. I basically became frustrated and irritated over the lack of progress that the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department was making. So I decided, even though I know you may think this sounds <laughs> kind of crazy, I decided that I was gonna investigate the best I could without subpoena power. I have been writing a book and have finished a book relating to Natalie Wood's death. I will tell you this, when I took Dr. Noguchi's deposition, I asked him about that fingernail evidence. And when I did, he recoiled in his seat. He just sat back in his seat and then said he didn't remember. Dr.
1: Cyril Wecht is a forensic pathologist and attorney.
6: I, I cannot tell you why it wasn't done. Um, I, I I don't know. I, I just imagine that they became pretty satisfied based on their autopsy and the police reports that they had received at that point that there was, uh, um, you know, no no serious question as to the manner of death and so on. That's surmisal on my part, but I think uh, it is reasonable conjecture. But but I do agree that um, in retrospect, given uh, the uh, scenario that had been suggested um, as well as uh, the scenario that maybe she was fighting with somebody, um, that it would have been appropriate to take the meals and clip them and study them, yes. I would agree. Yeah, and I'm trying to give you honest answers. Despite my friendship with Tom, I'm sure that Tom would agree. uh, In retrospect, uh, they could have taken the clippings.
1: Attorney Sam Peroni believes there was one other major oversight during the initial investigation. In Chapter 8, we revealed that investigator Paul Miller was a friend of RJ's and his boat was coincidentally moored next to the Splendor the night Natalie died. Miller noted in a preliminary report for Dr Noguchi that the dinghy had scratches on it. Here's a portion of Noguchi's press conference regarding his findings.
4: Miss Wood, uh, it appears, based on our investigation, around the stay noon, me, around the stay, uh, of the, uh, Midnight, shortly after midnight of the Sunday morning, she apparently attempted to get on to the uh, dinghy. Slept and fell in the water, unable to return to the dinghy
1: or the boat. If Noguchi's theory was that Natalie had tried but was unable to get back on the dinghy, And later, his own investigator tells him he saw scratches on the dinghy. Why would he not check under Natalie's nails?
5: If they looked under her fingernails, they could have determined whether or not there was any rubber residue underneath Natalie Wood's fingernails.
1: A coroner's job is to arrive at a truthful conclusion through science and a careful analysis of the evidence. They are not supposed to have a pre existing hypothesis and then twist those facts to support that theory. Marty Ruley has a compelling alternative theory as to why these scratches were ignored.
4: Natalie was never trying to mount that dinghy. So where would scratches have come from? That was a fabricated um, Paul Miller information in Paul Miller's report. There were no scratches. Razor knew that. So when that information came out, that should have, you know, put his antenna up. Why are they saying there were scratches? Is that to go along with the story that that's how Natalie acquired her
1: bruises? In all likelihood, Natalie's nails were not checked because there were no scratches, which means her bruises were not caused by trying to get into the rubber dinghy. So why didn't anyone from the Sheriff's Department or the Coroner's Office call that into question? Detective Rujour maintained through the years that the investigation was properly handled and he believed RJ's account. Unfortunately, we were not able to question the detective. He passed away in 2014. We left multiple messages for Thomas Noguchi, but our calls were not returned. Detective Ralph Hernandez was able to share the following with us.
0: Dr Noguchi admitted to us that he based his case on theory and not facts and evidence he also explained to us that he was under a lot of pressure to make a determination and so he proceeded uh, as he did but he also said that perhaps manner should have been left as undetermined in this case he agrees with the new findings
3: There are a lot of aspects to the more recent review of the autopsy that for some reason didn't seem to register before. The amount of urine in her system, typically when someone drowns, they void. In other words, they use the bathroom. That didn't happen here. Her bladder was full. That's a big indicator that she was knocked out before she went in the water that's how it appears to many medical personnel or else she would have urinated upon drowning i don't know how i can say it more clearly
0: she was a a lady of small stature that as it was explained to us 300 cc's of urine in her bladders And that's what she had, approximately 300 cc's, is a rather large amount of urine. Uh, So there is a question out there as far as, wouldn't she have voided her bladder? Having that amount of urine in her bladder can certainly lend to the possibility that she went in unconscious.
1: If Natalie was indeed already unconscious before she went into the water, how did she get that way? And what of ear witness Marilyn Wayne's testimony, whose boat was anchored close to the Splendor? She swore that she heard Natalie crying for help the night of her death. Here's Dennis DeVer.
2: I was on the boat. I didn't hear anybody cry out for help. And I didn't have the music that loud. I mean, if I would have heard somebody crying out for help, I would have heard it. I think the person that said they heard somebody crying out for help, I think that maybe maybe they heard my music or maybe they were just thinking they heard somebody but I really honestly don't think that they heard somebody crying out for help.
0: In Dr. Lakshmanan's report in the coroner's 2012 review and supplemental report that was issued Dr. Lakshmanan explains that Natalie drowned within a short time of her entry into the water and it's supported by numerous uh, details that he he documents in in his report. That would tend to make us believe that it was in fact um, someone else that was heard calling for help. It's also coupled with uh, another witness's statement provided to the original investigators about a party that was going on in a nearby boat. It's also Substantiated with a detail that we're not we're not providing that's part of some of the whole back information, but we find that to be unlikely. we'd certainly believe Marilyn Wayne uh, when she says that she heard what she heard, and we certainly understand why she would believe that it was it was Natalie um, but given the totality of the circumstances and things that obviously she is not made privy to. Um, we don't believe that that's likely the case. We don't believe it was Natalie.
1: Despite the fact that the new investigation calls Marilyn Wayne's statements into question, there are many new witnesses who have come forward and their accounts validate Dennis's version of events.
0: Yeah, I can't tell you who the, wit- the new witnesses are. Um, we're, not, we're not giving up their, their identity what i can tell you about the new witnesses is one they're not looking for limelight they're not looking to have um anyone pay them for interviews in fact two of them we actually had to seek out and find people have asked us why we believe that they're credible and actually their reasons for not coming forward is what lends to their credibility. I can tell you that their account certainly corroborates Dennis Devern.
4: Wagner was at that swim step when she disappeared. Dennis knows it, and two witnesses that came forward corroborate that story. They saw arguing, heard arguing, They saw them at the swim step, and then she was gone. Okay, the two witnesses that came forward that didn't say anything in 1981 because they thought the case was wrapped up, they thought, okay, maybe it was an accident. They thought that it was investigated. Well, when the case was reopened and they came forward, they corroborate the same story that Dennis gave— that Wagner was at the swim step with Natalie when she went into the water, when she disappeared. And these two witnesses apparently heard the arguing, loud vicious arguing, and they also saw RJ and Natalie at the swim step and then Natalie was gone.
1: And what about RJ and Christopher Walken? Since the case was reopened... They both sought legal counsel and have refused to talk to the press. Wagner remains firmly tight-lipped, but Walken has spoken privately with the LA County Sheriff's Department. And for the first time, we can disclose some of what Walken shared with investigators.
0: Robert Wagner was interviewed back in 1981. Um, However, our requests for interviews have been turned down in the reopening of the case. So Christopher Watkins interview was helpful, at least in the fact that it did corroborate uh, certain details of Dennis DeVern's account. And that's about all I can get into.
1: Here's Dennis DeVern. I, I don't know. I, I I just don't think he he wanted to get
2: himself that involved. You know what I mean? I, I kind of got him, you know, not that he was on the hook, but, I mean, I feel like that... Um, Not that, you know, I'm not saying he was on the hook, but if there was any way that he was on the hook, I got him off the hook because I said he immediately went to a stateroom and he did. And, you know, he's probably thinking, hey, you know what? I'm not really a person of interest on this because, you know, I went to bed and why should I come forward and and make myself the center of attraction?"
4: I believe that Walken went along with everything that R.J. wanted the detectives to know, that this was a pleasant weekend and nothing happened because of, again, the word celebrity. Walken had just received an Oscar for the Deer Hunter. He was the new up-and-rising star of Hollywood. Everyone wanted to book him and sign him for movies. And when you have a scandal of this magnitude, you know, at your heels, you, you're going to want to run from it, especially when everything is ready to break open for you. And I believe it was just self-survival, um, you, you know, thinking more of yourself than of a dead victim. And, of course, for Wagner, it was that way walk and it was that way and, you know, if you think about it Dennis was the one with really nothing to lose and Wagner knew that
1: In 2013 Natalie's cause of death was officially changed from accidental drowning to drowning and other undetermined factors That was significant It means authorities finally acknowledged the possibility of foul play and even more significantly Detective John Carina named RJ, quote, a person of interest in Natalie's death.
5: Well, he hasn't. He hasn't always been a person of interest. Obviously, he was on the boat. There were four people on the boat that night, and one of them ended up in the water dead. Um, uh, so. But as the investigation progressed, I mean, we were able to recreate the timeline and get it down to where he was the last person with her on the back of the boat arguing before everything went quiet.
0: From what we know, Robert Wagner was the last person to be seen with Natalie prior to her going into the water. Her death is extremely suspicious. Again, there were details that were left out of the original investigation, and he's not interviewing with us. All of those factors make him a person of interest, a person who we believe knows something that can shed some light on what actually occurred.
2: I really do think R.J. killed Natalie. Over the years, I, I, I put two and two together, and when I see a man standing on the back of his boat with the door open and him telling me, that Natalie was missing, I realized that if she's missing and he's standing there where you would actually exit the boat and she's missing, I mean, to me, it's obvious that he was the last one with her. I think that maybe she was already unconscious and just kind of pushed her off the back of the boat. I believe she became unconscious because the fighting they were having that maybe He had hit her and knocked her
1: unconscious. He's Lana Wood.
7: Now knowing the things that the new coroner has said, knowing the things that the detectives have told me, it's killing me. It's killing me. I'm, I'm just hurt. I'm really, really hurt that RJ was with her and probably either pushed her over, threw her over, but he was there when she was in the water, he was there. And then all the bruising, which the detectives have told me over and over and over again, is not from bumping into a rubber dinghy. They are typical of physical abuse, the placement of the bruising and how the the bruising appears. And the one on her throat. And um, they've also said, though, that they honestly feel because of the bladder contents, which I, I hate that I know any of this, um, that she didn't drown because that was my fear. Because that was her great fear. And I thought, no, it, it just can't be. So they said she was unconscious when she hit the water. If she hadn't already died she was unconscious which was my concern. I didn't want it to be her nightmare her fear her lifelong fear oh my god but um, you know there again with everything that's come out I have to accept it I have to deal
1: with the pain but it's tough it's really tough. On the next fatal voyage. Due to statute of limitations the
0: only charge here would be murder we would have to prove murder in order to uh, not just make an arrest, but actually charge him in court. RJ's lack of participation in our reopening, his uh, lie about the broken bottle, his changing of the story, certainly adds to our suspicions about the case.
1: Fatal Voyage is executive produced and hosted by me, Dylan Howard, and American Media Incorporated. Executive producers also include Kelly Garner and Carolina Saavedra from Treefort. Engineering, mixing, scoring and original music by Tom Monahan. Additional editing by Josh Workman. Make sure to subscribe to Fatal Voyage on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.